Hello and welcome to the Full of Beans podcast, hosted by myself, Hannah Hickenbotham. Throughout these podcast episodes, we will speak to a range of individuals about their experience of eating disorders, with the aim of increasing awareness and understanding, whilst reducing stigma and isolation. Please note that the topics discussed in this podcast may be triggering for some individuals, so tread lightly, check in with yourself and reflect on these conversations. Today I'm joined by Jodie Kalija. Jodie is currently in recovery from anorexia and shares her experience on their Instagram and blog, Recovery in Partnership. Jodie joins us today to discuss recovering in a relationship and to explore the role of a partner and self in eating disorder recovery. Hello Jodie. Hello Hannah. How are you? I'm okay. Seems really interesting in saying how you sort of at the start of the podcast, but yeah, I'm okay. I'm happy to be yeah. here with you talking about this because it's something I'm really passionate about. I often think partners are forgotten. Yeah, yeah. I always think it's funny actually because I've never thought about saying like, or not saying, how are you? I think it's just like in my polite British yeah. nature to say, how are you? Um and actually, it's really interesting because most people are like, yeah, I'm good, thanks. How are you? Like, mm. you know, classic just reply. And I remember one person was like, um, Lawrence, I did podcast with you, was like, actually, I'm not okay. And I was like, yes. I mean, that, like, amazing that you just said that. And, like, let's unpick that. So now I just keep it in just in case someone's like, yeah, actually, you know, not great. I think it's actually um, the right way to go. It's exactly what I do at work when people ask. And I always ask twice, just in case. Like, yes. And? <laughs> Are you okay? Other than being yeah. fine? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because fine's not really a, a thing. No. Um, yeah. It, that's just actually reminded me of um, when I was younger and not so well. Um, and my, I'd go to my grandma and she'd be like, oh, do you want like, I don't know, a chocolate bar? And I'd be like, oh, no, I'm fine, thanks. And she's like, yeah, I'm not asking how you are, but do you want a chocolate bar? Yeah. I'd be like, that's true. I didn't actually answer the yeah, question. <laughs> exactly. It's just, like you said, British culture, automatic response. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah 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 fine yeah <laughs> um anyway thank you so much for joining me um I am a massive fan of your Instagram and actually what I think is really interesting and something that I'm sure we will unpack is when we first spoke I think you had almost I don't know whether you just started like your all-in recovery or kind of what was the situation but I think that your your partner I'm sure is still now playing quite a big role in your recovery but then when we spoke the second time when you were going to write the blog it was very much like you know I've actually changed my mentality around my partner's role Mm -hmm. in my recovery um so what I really wanted to start with was kind of how you know, initially, you you perceived that your partner's role would be in your recovery, and then kind of the changes that have happened for you. Um, so it's been a real big change. So me and my husband, we've been together nearly thirteen years. So thirteen years in February. Wow. We just celebrated our five year wedding anniversary, and for the first eight years of that, he had no idea I had an eating disorder. He thought um, wow. my behaviours were quirks because I tend to cycle I go from bulimia binge eating anorexia like he's always thought it was quirks or like I'm on a new diet um but I was just very well hidden and actually we we had for quite a long time a running joke where he found me doing a secret binge and I managed to laugh it off and it became a running joke for such a long time I do remember that time I found you and I was like 
Yeah, it was very funny, wasn't it? Um, so I had no idea. Um, and then when I realised that a problem was starting and I was going back towards sort of anorexia, I came clean and I said, look, I really need help and I'm going to go to the doctors for this. And I started opening up to him more and more. And I feel like my therapy, my treatment was very traumatic. And I wasn't able to continue with them. And the more I struggled with them, the more I began to rely on him and see him as the answer. And for a really long time, he he wasn't a carer, but I would tell him what I needed and sort of hope that he'd respond. And in another sense, because he, he also has OCD, so I feel like because of our relationship that I cared for him through OCD, he was able he should have been able to do the same for me. And that's what I wanted. I wanted him to fix me in as much as I saw that I helped fix him. Not it's fixed, but you know, helped him get to a point where he was much better. And I, I just sort of I wanted that reciprocated in exactly the same way. And um I got worse I got more ill and I got more reliant on him and I was I put more hope and faith into him just being the answer if he could just fix me he's the only one because no one else out there has been able to do it it must be him and um I did try all in unfortunately I'm not going to say I'm in relapse I think anyone else would call it a relapse I'm saying I'm still actively pursuing recovery but my behaviour's present as a relapse because I don't want to say this is the end point but we tried all in and I literally I gave him a plan (laughs) I wrote a plan for the entire month I wrote down all of the behaviors I come out with all of I don't tell lies which is a really difficult thing for to have an eating disorder and not be able to tell a lie but I told him all of the ways I'd try and get around a situation or how I would over-exaggerate certain things. And we'd done the month and I'd done all of the behaviours. And because he's my husband and he saw my emotion before he saw the eating disorders motivations, I got away with so much during that month. And the problem is I went then into resentment. I resented him because he was meant to be the one that was meant to fix me. And I think when I wrote that blog for you, I was getting to the point of it's not his job to fix me. He's my husband. He's there to support me. And although I can still wish and dream and want that he is the answer and he will just come up with this magic solution, at the end of the day, it has to be on me. (laughs) Um, And that's why I say sort of, I'm not in relapse, I'm still actively pursuing recovery. I just don't know what that looks like yet. And that's something I need to find out mm-hmm. rather than going out and asking or telling Steve that he needs to do it for me. So, yeah, at the start, it was very hidden. Didn't want him to know about it. I was embarrassed. I actually ended up with a false diagnosis of a different disorder just to hide what I was going through. And I've only just had that removed from my NHS records. That is so hard to remove a diagnosis that you don't have. Um, so, and then it was a case of he was it. And he, and I think it's that black and white thinking. Like I thought, if I've done it for him, he can do it for me. And I was so focused on that. And yeah, now it's a case of, I still do have days where I do take it out on him. Like, why can't you just do the thing I need you to do? Why can't you just read my mind? But I am in a better place in the sense I know he is not the answer. It's something that I've got to do. And actually, that means 
yes, I can't tell a lie, but it actually means me being more honest rather than, you know, if I've got mental yeah. hunger, he's not going to know. He's not going to be able to ask me every minute on the hour. I need to say I'm suffering from mental hunger right now. What do I do about it? Like, could I have some support? Rather than being angry that he doesn't know that I've got mental hunger. <laughs> yeah. I've honestly written down so many notes yeah. because, um, like, everything that you said, I was like, oh, like, I was smiling and I realised I was smiling. I was like, oh, my God, I hope she doesn't think that I'm, like, laughing or something like that because, honestly, so much of what you just said really resonates with, with me and how I'm currently feeling with my partner right now. So, yeah, I really want to unpack some of the yeah. things that you said. Um, one thing um, that I completely agree with and I almost I don't think I've decided where the line kind of fits um but when I used to work in eating disorder recovery um there was a whole thing so I used to be the person that um organized the carers groups and we had this whole sort of very long kind of not debate but discussion about what should we call it because at the end of the day we weren't just inviting parents along who you know my mum will honestly and openly say yes she is my carer she is my parent so she is there to care for me but I think the things that I found really difficult about that word is that I have never wanted and do never want Ben to be my carer mm. Ben is my partner and that's what I want him to be but in the depth of the eating disorder mindset I think and you know tell me if, if your situation has been the same but I find that I'm so unable to care for myself that I just all I want is for somebody to care for me. And I really just find that, you know, you really want someone to scoop you up and to mollycoddle you and wrap you up in cotton wool. But that's just that's not the role of a partner. Yeah, I'm the same. I feel it's really difficult. So on paper, Steve is actually my carer and I'm his carer, which is a really messed up situation. But for the sake of medical sort of instances where he's had to talk to the GP about my situation where I've been bad or again where I've had to talk to his GP where his OCD's in a bad place on paper is my carer and some people may see him as my carer but I really struggle with him saying he's my carer and I struggle with a couple of reasons I do want someone to just fix me I want that no I'm not in shining armor but someone just to come over and say this is what you do and this is how you do it. I need a bit of authority, but also that control element of my nature, but also the eating disorder. When people do that, I naturally rebel. <laughs> so I can say, mm. I need you to care for me and I need you to look after me, wrap me up in cotton wool, tell me exactly what to do and take me through every step of it. But my eating disorder, that sense of need of control, will immediately pick holes in the situation and I will rebel because I don't want to be cared for because I'm an independent person. Um, Steve and I have a funny relationship. I'm the independent one. He's the codependent one. So it's really hard to switch that role as well for me to say I'm the one that is independent and does the stuff and then say now I need to completely switch places. It's really uncomfortable. Um, it's a really uncomfortable place to be. And it's it's a case of, there do need to be moments where you do need to be cuddled and cared for, but they need to be the right moments. And for a partner to know that, it's really hard because you're like, are they in this mode or this mode or this mode? And it's it's a journey on both sides. Like I've we've got um 
I've got a coach. Steve's not great at remembering all of them. I love him. He's amazing. I'm not putting it down. But I have approaches for different moods. Like if I'm not being logical, I need to walk. But if I'm emotional, I need to sit and I need to do something with my hands. And if there's like, there's certain modes that sometimes with an eating disorder, you don't know. And I think the problem, like you said, with carer as well, it's so related to the idea of a parent. And partners have such a different role. A parent can be an authority. A partner that is meant to be on the same level as you cannot be an authority at the end of the day. And that really, if they do become an authority on either side, whether you're in recovery or not, if you've got one person in that relationship that has more power, that's an unequal relationship and it's not going to work. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, I think that that like sort of dynamic, the difference between a parent and um, a partner is is crazy, like you say, because but then also, I guess I don't know where I draw the line here in that. So I was speaking to my mum the other day and I was saying how this relapse, you know, recovery feels so much harder because when I was 14 and I went to the hospital, um, you know, I was in the child and adolescent mental health service. So my parents got given the meal plan and they went home, they we went and did the shopping, they did the cooking, we sat down, they, you know, observed me eat, they made sure I finished it, blah, blah, blah. There is no way on this earth that I am asking them to do that. I don't think that that is what a partner should do. Um, so recovery in that sense is a lot harder because there is not there isn't somebody saying, you know, I'll go and do the shopping to make sure that we get the right things and I'll cook the dinner to make sure that it's right. But equally, whilst that is so much harder, I don't necessarily think it's harder for the wrong reasons. Like I, I genuinely think now that before when, you know, mum was cooking me dinner, I could almost tell my eating disorder it's okay because mum is making me do that like I'm not making this decision but now as an adult it has to be me that makes the decision which makes it so much yeah. harder and so I think the adult recovery is so much harder but actually you know if you can do it it's so much more effective in the long term because you're the one making the decisions. Absolutely I completely agree I mean when I was younger and I was first diagnosed it was my nan that had full control and I still have moments now where I'm on the floor crying and screaming for my nan who passed away years ago but I know that if my nan was here right now, I would do exactly as I was told. That was it. Like, if she was here right now, but I'm a fully grown adult, and there's no way on this earth my husband, he can help, he can support. We can do the meal plans together. We can do the food shopping together. We can figure out what is working and what's not working. If I've had a complete meltdown, why did that meltdown happen? But at the end of the day, he can't make me recover. I have to do the work. Um, and I think that's where part of what went wrong in that month off. I I was offered inpatient and I completely refused it. I said, I can do inpatient at home and my husband can be the one that does the inpatient stuff, like making me eat and stopping me from exercise. And it was it was a real mess because at least when you're with a professional and I did have professionals involved, but they're not there 24 seven with a in a professional arena. And I've not been inpatient. I've always rejected it. And I've done exactly the same thing like someone else will do it, like my mum or my nan or my husband. They don't have that emotional connection. And if you sever a relationship there or if it gets rocky, it's not the end of the world. What happened with us 
really set us back in our marriage and really put us in a difficult position because I put way too much pressure on him trying to be and put him in a place that he's not trained to be but also is so far out of our comfort zone as a couple that's been together for 12 years. Yeah absolutely I think you've highlighted something so important there in that you know the role of a partner in the way that I see it is, is to be there to support and to listen but it shouldn't be their role to fix you and to go through every single, you know, nut and cranny with you to to get to that. Yeah. Because like you said, they're not trained in that. They they didn't, you know, I don't want to sound horrible, but they didn't sign up for that. Mm. Um, and actually, you know, a professional can separate it out. And like you said, you know, I think from both aspects, both sides of it, in that a, a professional, you know, I've had much more, um, what's the word? like direct conversations where the professional will say something that could potentially be really upsetting but you need yeah. to hear it um and it's effective mm-hmm. because they can say it and you you've not got that relationship with them but equally you can be honest with them and you can say like you know I've been having these thoughts and that's been really distressing yeah. me I don't think that that often happens when you've got something else on the line you know a relationship the potential loss of that relationship if if Ben says something really blunt to me, that would take a lot of coming yeah. back from. But also if I'm saying, you know, I'm having all these thoughts about harming me, I might hold that back mm-hmm. because I don't want to upset him. Yeah, exactly. And it's a really, like I said, it's where the, where to draw the line. And I think there needs to be mm-hmm. a constant level of honesty and communication, but there needs to be that sort of outside help. The person suffering, but also the person that's doing the support as well, because sometimes they don't know where to go or what to do with the information that they're being given or how to deal with you know I hate to say it but I'm 30 years old and I've been found on the floor screaming and crying and banging and breaking things and I'm nearly I'm 30 in a couple of months time and I'm doing that how is he meant to deal with that I've had to call my mum over because it's not something you can do on your own whereas professionals in the right environment know how to handle that situation it's an emotional thing to go through on both sides and I know it's emotional for parents but I think again the partner that is active in recovery even if they're inactive they do go through a lot and there needs to be a lot more support in how to manage the situation and what to expect um it's not an easy place to be in especially if you love that person. I know so many relationships, people that have contacted me where their relationships have ended and they can, they're can they distraught. And they know it's because of the eating disorder, but they know it's also because that other person didn't have that support network to understand what they were going through. Um, and I hate to say it because it's a horrible thing to say, but I'm sort of lucky in the sense that Steve's got OCD in the sense that he understands an obsession and a compulsion and sort of the overwhelming fault. Mm. I think if he didn't, it would be a lot harder to communicate with him. And he, he won't fully understand, like the same way I won't fully understand his OCD, but it does make it slightly easier. And I think I mentioned to you before that I'd had therapy just before this. And I one thing that I found really prominent recently is that like I just don't seem to be concerned about the consequences of my actions. Um and you know I think very much like so when I think about my parents I'm like yes obviously I'm upset that I'm worrying them and I'm concerning them but at the end of the day I know that they're going to stick around they're not going to leave me because of my actions or whatever because they're my parents and they love me dearly and they want to see me get better 
Um, and my mum has said to me so many times, you know, like, oh, well, you know, if, if things get too bad, Ben might not be able to stay and stuff. And, and in the back of my mind, I think about, no, 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 it's not. So, like, that's, that's ridiculous. Like, obviously, that's not going to happen. And then when I was in therapy today, the therapist switched the perspective and he said, um, if it was the other way around, would you be able to cope and stick around? And that was like, oh my God, mm. like, I don't know. Um, and that really kind of changed things for me. But I think something that I then started thinking about that's really important is that, you know, I don't now want that to be my reason to recover because I equally don't think it's good to recover for somebody else. So have you kind of gone through that stage of thinking of being like, I'm going to recover for Steve and then actually needing to change that? Absolutely. Multiple times. And I think part of it is because I've experienced being on the other side of having to, mm. when Steve was diagnosed, when we were, we've been together for like four or five years, we'd already been living together as like young, we moved to university together. So we chose a university together and we bought a flat, like we didn't buy it, we rented a flat together so we could be together immediately. And I went through that and I know what it's like being on the other side of not knowing what every day is going to look like. And, you know, I know that pain. And so I feel so much guilt. And that's a really heavy feeling. It's not just guilt for, you know, eating or whatever. It's the guilt of what my behaviours have on him because I've been there. And every point up until... Well, nearly at every point, it's been a case of I'm recovering to remove that guilt so that Steve can be happy. And I think, um, it, again, a part, a lot of this is uncovering the reasons why you're in this situation. And I know a lot of the reasons I'm in this situation, and I'm not placing blame. There's a lot of environmental issues, but like it's definitely my biology, my genetics it comes from my family. But I'm a bit of a people pleaser a bit like my entire last 12 years has been dedicated to make Steve happy so I gave up the career I wanted so that I could get a well-paid job so that Steve could have the career he wanted I decided to do certain things in my life that put me at the bottom of the priority list so Steve could be happy and when it came to recovery it was exactly the same thing like I got myself in a situation where I was so lonely that I went to my behaviors and fell back into anorexia and then the only way I could see back out was, oh, but my life is about making him happy. And it's never been about, I've never had a moment in my life where it's about making someone else happy because it, before it was making Steve happy, it was making my grandparents happy. Like they were very academic focused. I had to do everything in my life to make them happy. And then it just transferred to Steve. And then recovery was like, if I recover, I will make Steve happy. And at the end of the day, it just wasn't working because I was miserable. And it's so hard to make yourself do something that you don't believe in, that you don't want. Because again, that's where the resentment comes up. And you can resent a parent, but it'll still be there. But to resent a partner when they don't have to be there, they're not, you know, you can be married, they can still divorce you. That's an option. It's a really hard situation to be in. Um, I did get to a point where I wanted to recover from myself. But unfortunately, factors that be around and my connections to family and in-laws pulled me back from that. Um, so I'm in a situation now where I'm finding, I'm doing the work now to find out where I got myself and how I got myself here. And I realise a lot of that is me not being happy 
and trying to make other people happy and sort of living on that happiness, their secondary happiness. And I feel like if I was to do recovery for me, I need to know who I am first, which is a really hard situation to be in when you're told all the time you won't know because you're not at a, this healthy BMI. And I'm like, I'm pretty self-aware. Um, so I'm trying to do that first so that when I do find this place of recovery, I'm doing it from a place that fulfills me rather than puts pressure on me. And I think that's it. When you put someone else's needs in front of your own in recovery that causes so much pressure to live up to this thing that you're trying to do for someone else that it's unmanageable um I think it's really interesting what you've just said especially the part about um being you know doing a bit of work before maybe I think that we're in the same position, to be honest, because I also feel like I'm in a relapse. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have kind of done recovery before, uh, not fully. I mean, I don't think I would be back here if I had done it fully. Um, but I'd never done it for me. I'd done it to satisfy other people. And then now I feel like what I'm trying to do as well is to, in order to recover, properly and to have a reason to want to recover I need to know what this eating disorder is providing me and at the moment I don't have an idea because you know I've sometimes said that oh it's a way of managing emotions or it's this that the other but nothing feels as powerful as the eating disorder feels and I think like my perspective is because a lot of people are like oh you can kind of like debate around recovery or plan it as much as you want but you just kind of like go full force in but I think actually you need to know what your intention behind recovery is before you can actually do it because I tried with the whole like I want to recover so that I can I don't know eat a donut in America with my brother or something like that but it feels so far away and you know it's quite a specific thing that actually if I don't ever achieve it that's not that bad but kind of thinking about what your intentions are for like yourself and more like understanding what it provides to you so that you can have something more healthy that provides that to you or you know you can provide that to yourself without that reliance on the eating disorder yeah I think what you said there is again about the tangible outcomes as well and I think that's something Steve and I talk about quite a lot like an eating disorder a lot of it is immediate gratification like it feels like delayed Mm. gratification in the sense of like if you're in just restrictive behaviors but at the end of the day if you restrict that's immediate gratification and you get that sense of I feel better for doing this or like if you're exercising, I feel better for doing this. When you're in recovery, there is no immediate gratification. Like, you, mm. it's, yeah, you can enjoy food, but it's nothing that gives you the same sense of control or whatever you're trying to, you know, manage. It doesn't hit the same feeling. I've been talking to Steve, like, what have I got that gives me that same sense of gratification and that same sense of fulfillment? And, I mean, I have goals of what I want to do in my future, but they're so intangible that I can't see them, I can't feel them, I can't hold them, and I don't know whether they'll ever happen. So it's hard to say I'm doing this now for something so many years down the line. I need something that I can say I'm doing this now because in a couple of months' time, this. (laughs) Or, you know, I'm going to get this immediately out of it, which is, again, very much like that childlike mind, like that need of immediate gratification. But at the end of the day, if there's... 
there are plenty of coping mechanisms out there. And I mean, I go for about five a day just to try and keep the routine in so I don't lose it whilst I'm trying to figure out how to recover. But that doesn't give you the same sense of just feeling better. Mm. Uh, and that's it. I think that might be the key, though. Mm. I think it might be getting to a point where you don't need that instant gratification. Yeah. And almost I see that as like an adult mind in the sense of being confident within yourself that what you are doing is going to promote a healthy life and that is the right thing to do. And having that confidence and that belief in yourself without needing something external to give you that instant gratification to know that you're doing okay. Absolutely. That's the grand goal. It's just how you get there. And it's so hard to see that this is the end point. This is the start point what on earth goes in the middle and how do I get to the end point (laughs) because we know it's not linear I mean there's the backwards and forwards I think I've been up down round circle and you know to the moment back you know trying over the last 18 years there's no one way of doing it and there's no simple get to the end it's finding the right mechanisms and they I think they need to change like every time I've tried recovery I've tried something different and it's worked for that period, but it's always waned off pretty quickly. I still fully believe that all in will probably be the best way for me, but I just can't do it right now because it's not got that, that I can't. It's just one of those things I can't get myself through it on the day to day. But the way that we get through things needs to change. And I think also when we look at partners, they need to be prepared that things need to change. Like what happens on you know one week? is going to be completely different the next week. Um, and I can think of plenty of examples where, and I don't want to trigger anyone, but there was, and I won't, there was one thing that I had as a snack. And then a few months later, I wanted to use that as a snack, but it was no longer a snack because recovery had changed. But I had a complete meltdown over it. And it's just a case of that, that in awareness of how recovery had to change for that thing not to be a snack from a snack. And it's just so confusing when you're sort of aware of how your recovery is changing, but then keeping abreast at the same time. And it's so easy to forget as well, because there are so many rules <laughs> around so many things. Yeah. There are rules about food, about times, about drink, about exercise, about what time you can go out in the day, what time you have to get up in the morning, what time you have to go to bed. It's impossible to keep on top of it all. And when recovery has to keep changing and the plan has to keep changing, no wonder it's so hard for someone trying to support them to try and keep up. Because it, in our, essentially for us, it's in our head 24-7. It's in their head probably 27. <laughs> and those, because they're worried about yeah. us. But there's a four hours there where they're not thinking about it. And that's four hours that they can easily forget oh, what was two weeks ago, is it today? Yeah. And that was something that you mentioned earlier that I wanted to come back to because I know for me that that ability to mind read and to know, you know, exactly what I'm thinking is something that I always find so frustrating because, and this is another thing that we were just talking about actually in the therapy that I just had in terms of communication and that so much of the time, I either will know exactly what I'm thinking but can't communicate it because I can't say it out loud maybe because I just physically can't or because like I'm embarrassed to say it or there's just there's just something holding me back um but I expect 
then to know what's going on in my head, to know how to respond, blah, 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 blah. But like you've just said, things change every single day. So there could be a situation and I, you know, he could respond in a certain way and I could say afterwards, you know, thank you so much for supporting me, but actually I didn't find that helpful. Next time, could you do X? And then the next day comes and so he tries to support me in, with X and then I say, you know, actually that really wasn't helpful in that situation. Could you try Y? And, you know, you go through the whole bloody alphabet and there's actually like 5,000 letters, not 26. Yeah. And nothing's ever right because nothing ever satisfies the eating disorder and the eating disorder is trying to pull that apart. So actually, you know, asking somebody or expecting somebody to know how to respond to you or whatever mm. is so ridiculously hard. Um, so I have tried to have the re- approach now of like rather than expecting somebody to know how to help me, and sometimes I don't know how I need to be helped, but I've asked that he says, you know, what do you need in this moment? How can I support you? Rather than just kind of assuming based on previous experiences. And then I can say, actually, I don't know. Or, you know, right now I need you to back off or I need you to just kind of sit with me whilst whilst I do this. Um, I don't know if that's been your experience. I think that's the way to go is to ask questions more than anything else because it's so mm. hard to pinpoint what the issue is. I know, like we said, we've got walk and talk for logical Jodie. Like the only way you're going to get logic out of me is walking. And the only way I can deal with emotions and sort my head out, even if I'm being illogical, is to sit and talk it out. But there are points where I'm being complete, completely illogical and emotional. How am I meant to sit and walk at the same time? Like, it's just not going to happen. And I find the best way is, like, what is going on right now? What's going on through your head? How do we move to the next step of, you know, resolving it? Rather than going through a whole list of the different mechanisms like do we need meditation EFT or walk because if anything when you're in that really emotional state I don't know about you I just get angry like why don't you just know mm. why don't you just have the yeah. answer why don't you understand yeah because you're being put in a situation yeah. where there is an answer and you know you don't know what it is yet but being reeled off a load of options and I think that's overwhelming having the options as well like when you're trying to figure out in your head and you've got all of these things flying at you of like, well, I don't know which one right now. Actually going through the step by step of what's going on, what got you here, what do you need right now? Do you need me to sit in this and do you need to get some fresh air? Like going through the questions rather than because we had this for a while, it's like EFT was working really well or meditation was working really well, walking was going really well, and it would immediately be, get you up and go for a walk or do some tapping, Jodie, just tap, 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 you'll be okay. Like, it's not the answer, I don't need that right now. And the questioning mm-hmm. approach at least helps get to, not necessarily the root of the problem, but get to a point where you can start considering for yourself, and I think, again, it's yourself finding a resolution rather yeah. than them holding on to all the answers. If that's like a tactic that's being used often, you then begin to learn to ask yourself the, the questions yourself and you can get there. Because what happens when they're not there to be throwing all these options at you? You're going to have to do it on your own. Yeah, I love what you just said there as well in terms of asking the question and then you can ask yourself the question because I think the issue with like, you know, having a specific thing that you do um, want, you know, like something like walking or whatever that could become compulsive or something like that if it's exercise related but equally if you're in a situation where you can't do a specific thing um I don't know like you can't start tapping I mean you know 
obviously if you want to start tapping I'm sure you could do in public but let's say that it was a situation where you didn't feel like you could tap then you're gonna you know but you can literally sit there in your own head no matter where you are and say what do I need right now blah 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 and work through it it's something that you can take with you wherever you go um and you're always going to be there as well rather than having to someone have someone say do the tapping do the tapping if you can remind yourself you know what questions do we need to ask right now you're always there yeah and it's, it's it is having that toolbox like a screwdriver is not going to work for every single DIY job mm-hmm. you've got in the house and it's knowing that you've got the toolbox and sort of imagining what's available and asking you know what is the DIY job I've got right now what tools do I need what is the situation right now what do I need to grab out of my toolbox of coping mechanisms mm-hmm. to get through that if you're always doing a DIY job and someone's always giving you the tools you never get to learn that is so true yeah if someone's always doing it for you I'm such a doer I need to you know if I just watch somebody I would take nothing in but if I do it myself um yeah that's such a great point before we move on to the kind of you know person the partner and where they get their support and stuff I want to ask you about all in because I I know this isn't kind of related to partners but it's related to you I'm skeptical about all in mm-hmm. So I want to ask you, I want you to explain to me what All In means to you and then we'll kind of... I've, I've, I've done a post about this a while ago. I'm actually on a bit of a detox mm-hmm. right now because it became a bit overwhelming on social media because I was getting comments yeah. saying you're not doing it properly. All In is, I think, in essence, going all in on yourself. And I know that there's, you know, um, the work that's been done on sort of... Um, getting your period back and that's sort of where all in is based on sort of my approach to all in is going all in on yourself and having that full knowledge of what that takes to get to nutritional and mental rehabilitation I had a very detailed plan that didn't look like the all in that we see online because it included exercise because I've tried recovery so many times for exercise and I will I fail after a week because I cannot cope with doing everything at once and to be fair, I failed this time round, even going all in with exercise. But that was because of other factors. I still do believe that I can go all in on myself using a system that works for me. But it does mean that, you know, regular nutrition and ensuring that you are continuing on, you know, the journey. And like I said, I don't see that I fail completely because I see that my position is I still think I need to go all in on me, but it just needs to look slightly different. It's still going to look like it includes exercise because I know that's, it seems it's all the bit, is a coping mechanism for me. And it is one of the core, and it's, I use a different exercise for different things in the same way that we have different coping mechanisms in our toolbox. I'll use different exercises for different, you know, needs. Um, it is about, I think, being honest with yourself and being honest with your needs and making and taking action. I think that's the key thing is taking action. And it didn't work for me. And it didn't work because I put too much pressure on Steve. That's it. It was meant to be all in and it was meant to be all in, which meant me taking the action and going all in on me. What I'd done is I'd done all in, but I wrote a plan and then I gave it to someone else and told them to do all into me that does not work (laughs) because I think the problem is as well we see so much online 
on social media that glamorizes impatience. And it's not something I've ever wanted to do because I have a career and there ain't no chance in this world that I'm losing my career. And actually, at the end of this week, I might lose my PhD because of my eating disorder, which will be a real shame because that's not where I want to be. But I'm not losing my career so that I can go inpatient. And because that's so glamorized, I thought, well, inpatient and all in are so similar. I'll make this modification in the sense that I can still exercise, but my husband is going to be the one that enforces all in and is the enforcer and the authority and make sure I do it. But the problem is, again, all in means responding to your hunger. I was suffering so badly from mental hunger. He didn't know that. He didn't know. And also, I have so many different ways of getting out of a situation that he can't remember the full list of what uh, tools I've got out, of, you know, to get out of a meal or to not do something that I'm meant to be doing. And again, there's the emotion involved. So I do believe in all in if it's modified according to your personal needs. I don't think all in is this set standard that we see as you have to give up all exercise. You have to eat this many times a day. You have to eat dense foods. But it's an all in that is an all in version for me and responding to my mental hunger. Yeah. So be it. So I think there is a real issue with I the think, perception of all in. I think it's how it's modified yeah. to make sure that you are fulfilling the action to go all in on yourself and to fulfill your personal needs of recovery. Yeah. And I think you, basically what you just said is what I was going to say, you know, what, what my thoughts were anyway, um, in terms of my perception of all in is one I mean I personally just think um not not the way that you've just described it by the way but the the classical way that people describe all in is it's just another way to disguise your eating disorder because it's an all or nothing approach it's literally called all in in the name it's the black and white approach of an eating disorder rather than being in a restrictive place you've got a plan that you have to stick to like that is not flexible that is not moving you into a healthy relationship with food that is moving you into a place where you follow a a rule book Mm -hmm. just given to you by somebody else and then what you said about exercise I equally don't think that taking exercise completely out of your life is positive because that's what happened to me when I was 14 I now have a compulsive relationship with exercise because I have no coping mechanisms to manage it because all they did was take it off me Mm -hmm. so I completely agree with you and I think all in it's I'm trying to think of a way to say it to encompass all but I think it's being as honest and as truthful with yourself about it so you know let's say like like you said let's say you are really craving yogurt yogurt and raspberries that's great you know make sure that you're listening to that and responding to that and having the yogurt and raspberries but it's making sure you know double checking is that actually what I want or is that what the eating disorder wants because that is something that the eating disorder could potentially ask me for you know actually maybe I'm wanting a raspberry donut but the eating disorder is just twisting that to get a bit of raspberry blah 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 I think that's what it should be is it's checking and checking and checking and fighting those eating disorder thoughts not necessarily having a plan not necessarily having these rules Mm -hmm. and rigidity that you have to stick by but being as free and as open and honest as possible and literally like you said giving it all to yourself yeah absolutely I see raves that sort of approach working really well with sort of my sense of all in 
in the sense of you want to be regular, you want to eat adequately, you want to have spontaneity, you want to be able to eat out, you want variety, but it needs to be modified in a way that suits you. And again, you're being honest with yourself as to what you can manage so that you don't end up going over the tipping point and falling backwards. But also you don't want to hold yourself so far back and stay in your safety zone that you're not actually being honest and truthful with you going actually all in on on finding yourself, like who you are below the eating disorder. Um, yeah, it is about that flexibility. I think that all in approach is just too rigid, and I think there are too many people out there that do either they call it all in or they call it something else with their approach, and it's glorified when actually it can be really traumatic and problematic for some people. Yeah, and it's just another form of perfectionism, really, yeah. isn't it? Because you know, you're like you said, you've got messages on Instagram or wherever of people saying to you, "You're not doing it right." It's just you're just trying to do the perfect recovery and it doesn't exist like the whole point in recovery should be that it's so messy that it's like unbearable for you to cope with because you're not you know you're not being rigid you're being flexible you're being spontaneous and all of that that should not be perfect the funny thing is all those messages come from teenagers I have so many adults that come to me they're in similar situations that see the need to go all in on themselves that need to be flexible that need to look at a method that suits them. And it's those that are in that are much younger that are, I don't know, more easily influenced or what by what they see on social media, or because again they've got authority figures around them that could emulate mm-hmm. something similar to all in. But I get a lot of teenagers saying you're doing it wrong. And you know, you're you're not doing it right and you're triggering because you're not doing it right. And I, I have had to take a step back because when you've got an eating disorder and a personality trait of being perfectionistic, it's a bit hard to constantly come back and be like, we're all on a unique path journey. Everyone's recovery is different. Just because I'm not doing it to your standard of perfectionism doesn't mean that I'm not trying to still find my own level mm. of what is right for me. Mm. I'm also very much of the opinion, and this is only something recently whilst I've been doing group therapy, you need to be triggered. Like, I'm sorry, but in life, you are going to be triggered. Mm-hmm. You are going to have somebody talk about their new weight loss journey or the fact that they've been tracking calories or whatever. You need to be able to know how to not internalize that yeah. and to spiral because of that comment. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, obviously, it, it, it might not be appropriate for you to be triggered, you know, in the comfort of your own home and nobody around you. But that's you know random tangent but I think why group therapy is so good because it can be in a supportive environment but those skills are so important to develop in order you know hearing uncomfortable comments and navigating them rather than just turning to self-sabotage not just that they can really uncover what the real issue is so I was Mm, I had a really traumatic experience with my in-laws and they did trigger me really badly and I've been and that's part of the reason I've relapsed because that sat with me since last Christmas to now but what it's not just what's happened it's actually uncovered a lot of feelings that I've been feeling for a long time surrounding them and feeling unworthy it wasn't just that one event but that triggering event and actually spending the last god 11 months trying to figure out why it hurt me so bad and why it was so difficult to handle has actually shown me that actually it's not like one event I've been dealing with a lot of repressed emotion about how i how I'm made to feel, not just by them, but sort of in my upbringing that I need to tackle. So being triggered isn't necessarily a bad thing, 
that it, it does uncover the this is a problem. Why is it a problem? And is it a, a surface level problem with the eating disorder or is it a deeper level problem that actually needs a lot more work to resolve? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think it's a really crucial part of the process. Um, so I just wanted to move on to speak a little bit about um, partners um, and the support that they get. So, you know, it sounds to me like you've kind of transition to a place where Steve is a support rather than kind of being the person to kind of dictate what you eat when you eat blah blah because that's it like I said about the all-in recovery that's just another form of eating disorder to me it's reliance on somebody else um how how does his role now sort of kind of come across and how does that sit with you I have to say it's been trial and error and I think that's the only way you can get through it. Like recovery, you have to fail to be able to figure out how to get to the right. Like I'd love to say that, you know, everyone's just going to start recovering. It's going to, you know, it, you'll get there at the end. You have to fail to get to the end. It has been trial and error. And it's been trial and error even after Steve's had additional support. So um, about two years ago now, Steve's done the beat training. And they now have an online okay. module um, where sort of carers can do training. He found that useful to an extent, but again, it was a lot of parents and he couldn't really connect with anyone that understood the situation mm. he was in. So he was only really able to get so far there. Um, he has had counselling for the anxiety calls as a result of my eating disorder. So this time last year, we went through the NHS, put in a self-referral um, through IAPS online. And he got seen pretty quickly, which surprised me. It might be because of his background with OCD, but he was really struggling with anxiety and pressure and depression from all of the pressure built up at home. And that was really useful. Um, it was only 10 sessions, but you can't ask for, you know, the world when sort of all of these services are so underfunded. But what it did is it helped him uncover some of his issues that actually played a factor in the eating disorder as well. So his inability to communicate or understand and the way he gets stuck in his own thoughts because of it because of his anxiety that actually there was a barrier in communication so again that was really helpful for him to see again it's not him blaming him it's factors that help him with communication and getting over sort of some of his concerns and the pressure there he's also done a lot of self-help books on managing anxiety but also being a carer um, there are lots of different ones out there and in the same way that there's a lots of different ways to recover there are lots of different approaches out there for how to be a support person we found a lot of them are very geared towards parents there are some out there that are more about sort of marriages and he's actually downstairs starting a new book right now um, about sort of, <laughs> um, recovery in a marriage because you know you can't stop learning um, so, for example, like Tabitha Farage, she's got her very well-known book, sort of uh, Rewire, Rehabilitate, Recover. There's a PDF version online for loved ones. And he's read that, and that's actually a lot of what we base our approach of all in on. Um, there's the mantra. Um, so you've got the mantra workbook. You've got the mantra therapy that you can get through the NHS. But also you've got the mantra um, supporting a carer for um, a loved one. And that's actually what Beat based their training on. Um I think the biggest thing is having someone that he can talk to in the moment 
whether sometimes that is me sometimes it has to be reflected straight back in the sense of I this is what you're saying and I'm feeling this way because that's the only way we're going to grow as a marriage when it comes to him struggling and not wanting to add that additional pressure to me because I feel that guilt of needing to recover for him and that puts me in a difficult situation um my mum is probably one of the biggest people we all end up talking to or someone at work whose wife struggled with anorexia as a younger person so we've found being open actually connects you with so many other people that are suffering who knew if you just said that you've got an issue other people would come out and say they've got an issue um these really his he grew up as a very closed down quiet person suffering from anxiety before he developed OCD he's become very open in his communicating so he'll go to work and say you know what I had a really crap night with Jodie last night this happened and he will talk about it and it's a release for him um, and the other person doesn't need to know what the answer is in the same way that the person caring doesn't need to know what the answer is. It's just having a listening ear and having that bit of empathy to say, sorry, you're having a hard day. You know, we've got this project, let's work on it together. Like, Or, you know, just being a listening ear, not trying to fix the situation. And my mum, I think, has been really, my mum's the worst person in the world. But she'll really like this because I'm so proud of her. She has grown and she's a different person than she was when I was a young person and going through this. She's a different person than she was two years ago and she's done the beat training, completely stuck her head in the sand, ignored it. I got so bad that we didn't know where I, you know, whether I'd make it to the end of the year. She completely flipped and changed. And where she used to do that thing where Steve needed someone to talk to and then she'd scare the shit out of him, sorry, language. She'd scare the crap out of him. She she now listens and they both can because they've both done the training, they've both done the work, they can talk to each other, which is really useful. Mm. We've also found that there's some people that he finds it harder to talk to because they do stick their head in the sand and they don't believe in my anorexia in the same way. Um they think it's a choice, and because they think it's a choice, they are very difficult to talk to, and he finds that really difficult. I think for the person that's doing the support, it is about one being open to everyone and anyone around you, which can be difficult because you don't know what you're going to get back. Some people, you know, are immediate that didn't work. I know now not to go to them and to open up about them, but these people are my trusted individuals. And it really does make a difference. And not just that we've got a friend's network and because I'm open with them as well, when we go out, because I don't restrict socialising. That's something I don't restrict. I just don't, I can't do the thing that everyone socialises around. And everyone's pretty, you know, savvy that I'm not going to sit there and eat whilst everyone else is eating. And they're good with it. But because that, that means Steve can go out and eat dinner. And I can be there. And we can still enjoy the moment. And we can still have friends. And everyone's okay with it. Obviously, everyone wants me to recover. But everyone's feeling that I'm in this place in my recovery right now. And it's fine. And that's because we've been open and because they're aware that it's not a choice. Like, I'll, sometimes I'll actively have food in front of me and I just can't do it. And everyone's just, they're chill with it. Like, that's what happens. But because Steve can be part of that environment, he's not giving up his relationship with me. He's not giving up friendships. He's not giving up his work. He's not giving up any, you know, he's found ways to include his life and our married life by speaking and being open. 
which isn't easy. <laughs> no, exactly. I think, like you said, trial and error. And I think, like you said as well, being open is so important, you know, rather than like, oh, oh I'm not feeling too good tonight, I'm not going to come, you know, actually saying, yeah, the, the food is just something I can't face right now. And like, if you're happy for me to come and I'll have my dinner before or whatever, yeah. or, you know, I'll bring something that I'm comfortable with. Um, one question I want to ask, because I think this is what people maybe, I don't know, listening or whatever might be thinking. And this is not what I'm thinking <laughs> before I say it. Um, but I think it's a, I mean, you might not have the answer. It's a complex thing. I don't think I would have the answer if someone asked me this. But okay, so you said that Steve um, kind of had anxiety around this and had to get support and, you know, it impacts him and his life and stuff. So as an outsider, I would think, you know, you are really affecting him and your behaviours are really affecting him. Why can you not get better? Now, this is the problem I have with his parents. <laughs> and this is why we're in a bit of a struggle so our marriage is suffering because his parents see it that way they think he's my carer which is not um they see that mm. what I'm doing is like an active choice and that I'm not going out there accessing support which every so I juggle a full-time job um I'm I'm in a high level you know high-ranking job um I do a PhD I have to walk my dog because my husband works the hours at the dog gets walked or else the dog's not going to get walked at all and it's I in all of my spare time I journal and I access recovery material and I'm actively working on it but because I'm not recovered it's a choice that I've made and that's been the message that's been spread about that I'm not doing enough and I'm not working hard enough and there it's impacting their son and that's really bloody hard and sometimes you just need to accept that you're not going to get through to everyone and not everyone's going to understand. And it's really hard when those your parents like, we've got had this, I'll be honest, the last week we've spoken about divorce because I don't want him to lose his family over my eating disorder. I don't. That's not something I want. But I also know that it is a, a difficult fact thing for him to be in the middle of because if someone doesn't understand I hate seeing the way Steve is. I hate seeing him in pain. I hate seeing him suffering. That's why I've tried recovery so many times, but it's also the same reason I failed recovery. I think it's sometimes just expecting that those people will be out there that don't believe in anorexia unless you are that stereotype, you know, on the social, on in media, unless you're that stereotype and you look that certain way and you are, on you, you know, in a hospital or whatever, then you're not ill, it's your fault and it's a decision you're making. And also it's about responsibility. Some people, they don't want to, they don't want to admit that the mental health is a thing (laughs) because that means that they have to partially take responsibility in being around someone that has mental health and needs to sometimes make accommodations and making those accommodations are hard. But honestly, it's, I think you'll know seeing someone suffering as a result of you suffering as a result of an eating disorder is really hard. But at the end of the day, that's it. You're suffering. And that person you love is suffering because you're suffering. And they love you so much that they're suffering with you. But it is not the suffering that you're causing yourself. It is a mental health disorder. And you may not look a certain way. You may not look like what they see in social media. You may not like you can be high functioning you can go to work you can do all of these things 
at the end of the day oh yeah at the end of the day it's still a problem and if if there was a magic switch where I could say tomorrow I'm recovered I'd take it I would in an instant if there was a way I could say that you know I can find an identity that's not the eating disorder that I can sit down for breakfast in the morning with my husband that I can share a meal that you know I've not eaten for years I do because I want to see him smile I've made the I've done like everything I can to try and make this man happy like it's not a choice um yeah. but sometimes you just have to accept that not everyone's going to yeah. understand and it's making yeah. the best out of the worst situation and I hate to say it, that was the the divorce conversation how do we make the best out of this because I don't want you to suffer and I don't want your family mm-hmm. you to be apart from your family because I'm the one making you suffer that's not going to happen. I don't think there's any way we could be separated. It's been too long now. We're too, you know, uh, we're too close to to that. But the best out of the situation, we've still yet to find. Um, yeah, education's key as well. Mm. But again, there are certain you can only educate to a certain extent. I mean, I'm a qualified teacher for eleven to eighteen, and in higher education, if someone's not willing to learn you cannot force them. If someone's not willing to engage in recovery, you cannot force them. Um, yeah. That's why I wanted to ask you the question, because I think it doesn't make sense. That's the whole issue in that it really doesn't make sense. You know, you're, you know, if you put it down on paper, you're discussing having a divorce. Why the hell can't you just recover? I'm obviously saying that, like, not it's true. coming from me. It's true. Um, yeah, but it just shows how deeply entrenched an eating disorder is and how complex it is and how difficult that recovery process is because you know nothing kind of you know you have to find that one thing and that one thing has to come from within Mm -hmm. that you you want recovery and you want to do that for yourself and you know that sums up this podcast in that you can't do it for anybody else you can't do it for anything external it has to be I'm doing this yeah. for me absolutely but that's really confusing when people are seeing you know your life around you falling apart and you're just there dancing in the middle in the eating disorder behaviors yeah and that unfortunately that it comes with patience on so many fronts it comes mm-hmm. with patience from the people around you in waiting and sometimes interventions have to happen and you, you there's only so long that you can wait for that mm-hmm. person to find their reason for external interventions need to be made but it's patience on the person suffering as well. Like it's not just going to come to you because you can have all the logical thoughts in the world, but until you're at a point where you're ready and you're doing it for yourself, and that means the people around you waiting and unfortunately sitting in the crap with you until you get to that point, because it is illogical. It doesn't make sense. If there was a way out and it was simple, we none of us would be suffering. But it does require. We would be there, yeah. Yeah, it does require a lot of patience. And I think that's why, again, I say anyone else would call where I am right now a, a relapse, a collapse. I'm calling it a actively pursuing recovery because I can't do recovery right now. I'm being patient until I can find the right way to get there. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Jodie, thank you so much. It's honestly been such a pleasure. I hope you've enjoyed this as much as I have because I think this has been a brilliant conversation for me. Um, 
so if well when people want to find out more about you where can they go to hear more from you so we are I say we it's me and my husband but I also say we as the grand we because I want to work with people on this and um, it's recovery in partnership on both Instagram and YouTube I'll probably be back after Christmas after I've taken a bit of a break and Steve and I will be doing some more videos on how Christmas went where we've been what we've been doing why I took the break and we'll be doing more stuff on recovery and partnership with Steve, which is the important one. That's the reason we started, because I think it's a niche area. But we'll also be doing stuff on recovery and partnership with other people, including those that um, follow me. And you. I'm recovery and partnership with you today, Hannah. Hey. <laughs> Amazing. Well, no pressure. Do not put that pressure on yourself that you have to come back after Christmas. Do what you need, um, because ultimately what I have always tried to say during this podcast is that it's great when you're putting resources out there for other people but ultimately you've got to do it for you the most um yeah so yeah if it's absolutely. three years when you come back we'll just be happy to see you then I'll definitely be back absolutely I'm looking forward to it I've got some ideas and it is just a case of putting it in the right frame and making sure that again what I'm saying is useful more than anything else amazing well, thank you so much. Thank you. And I will speak and, uh, to you very soon. Yeah. All right, I'll see you later. Bye. If you enjoyed listening today, you won't want to miss next week's episode, so be sure to subscribe. Eating disorders are crippling illnesses, but with the right support, they can be recovered from. We really hope you enjoyed this episode, but if you require more support right now, please look into charities such as First Steps and Beat for support or talk to someone you trust.